This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Cambria Lee, your guest host and marketing and brand manager at the ACLU of PA. Over the last few months, conversations around abortion rights have stolen media headlines and caused alarm throughout the nation. Politicians across a string of states have made it their mission to ban abortion access, and their crusade has recently landed in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. On this episode, we are joined by Alicia Gonzalez, Executive Director of the Abortion Liberation Fund of PA, formerly known as the Women's Medical Fund, and Lisbeth Rodriguez, Community Engagement Coordinator for the Philadelphia Women's Centers. I also invited our senior policy advocate, Julie Zapes, to join me as co-host for this episode. As our resident expert on reproductive freedom, she was the ideal person to help facilitate the conversation. In our discussion, we dive into what's at stake in some of the cases before the U.S. Supreme Court, the connection between white supremacy and abortion restrictions, and how clinics and medical funds are currently navigating the slew of politically motivated restrictions that seem never ending. Hi everyone, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm Cambria Lee, pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm the marketing and brand manager for the ACLU of PA. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you about abortion access and the current landscape um, of abortion rights in our country right now, and especially in Pennsylvania. Um, I'm happy to have my colleague, Julie, here with us. Um, so I'm going to pass the mic over to her because she is going to be helping me co-host today. Um, and I'll let her uh, tell a little bit about what she does for the ACLU of PA. Thanks, Kim. Uh, my name is Julie Zabst. My pronouns are she and her. And I'm a senior policy advocate here at the ACLU of Pennsylvania, um, working on reproductive freedom, including abortion liberation. And we are so excited to be talking about all of the things happening um, across the country right now, but really also in Pennsylvania um, and what that's going to mean in the coming months and uh, what folks can do to ensure that abortion access continues to be a reality for everybody in Pennsylvania who needs that care. Um, so I'm going to pass it over to Alicia to introduce herself. Good morning, y'all. I'm uh, Alicia Gonzalez, she, her, hers, and I'm the proud executive director of uh, the, the now Abortion Liberation Fund of PA. Uh, it was formerly the Women's Medical Fund for decades, so we're still trying to get used to that, uh, ALF for short. Uh, and yeah, excited to be here. I uh, am excited to be with y'all in community all the time, um, but certainly today at this critical juncture um, in our conversations around abortion liberation. Thank you for having me. Hi everyone, my name is Lesbeth Rodriguez. I am the community engagement coordinator for our Philadelphia Women's Centers and our Delaware County Women's Centers. Uh, also serving our advocacy center where we are the first point of contact uh, for patients uh, looking to make an appointment. And um, what we do is we help them navigate through uh, any uh, restrictions or bans uh, to help them uh, have a successful day in clinic. Thank you so much. Um, so you, you did touch upon this a little bit in your intros, um, but if you could both um, just kind of give us a little bit of background on your organizations um, and how you help uh, folks access abortion care in Pennsylvania. You want to go, Elizabeth? 
Yeah, thank you. Uh, so yeah, the Women's Centers, uh, we are uh, independent abortion provider in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, Hartford, Connecticut, and of course our Delaware County and Philadelphia Women's Centers. Uh, <clears throat> in Philadelphia, we've existed, we've been, we've existed since 1972. So that's pre-Roe v. Wade. We've been uh, serving our communities. And um, I mentioned I worked uh, at the Advocacy Center. The Advocacy Center is um, just amazing. And, uh, you know, we uh, help navigate these different states um, that have completely different restrictions. Um, some of them are easier than others to navigate. Some, some of them have Medicaid coverage. Um, most of them don't. So we always have to... Uh, you know, do the best to assure a, a patient is receiving the care they need, um, no matter where they are uh, or, um, you know, their financial capacity. So we help them navigate through all those um, hardships or sometimes, you know, just easy, simple care. Um, and yeah. And we at uh, ALF uh, work very closely with the women's centers, as well as about 26 other abortion providers across the state. And we've existed since 1985 as a response to uh, basically Pennsylvania enacting at the state level uh, its own version of the Hyde Amendment, which bans federal funding to cover the cost of an abortion. So that means anybody who's using Medicaid is unable to use their insurance to pay for the cost of the abortion, as well as folks in the military, as well as folks who might live on a um, native reservation. Um, anybody who's receiving federal care is not able to use that insurance to cover the cost of their abortion. So as we know, in this country, the connection between race and poverty means that folks hardest hit were going to be black, brown, and indigenous folks. And so back in the day, feminists, healthcare advocates, or what have you got together and said, we don't really have time to try to convince the legislatures to do the right thing. We actually have to take action today. And so they went into their own pockets, into their uh, you know, neighborhoods and started to organize basically uh, around raising funding to give out to people who were going to be forced to be unable to cover the cost of their abortion. And it's existed in that way since 1985. We've provided direct service through our helpline abortion funding. Last year, we provided funding to just over 3,300 people and we gave out about $667,000 in abortion funding to folks. And our average pledge uh, now, because of COVID, um, has gone up to $234 per person. Before COVID, it was just at about $130. So uh, it, it is more difficult now to get an abortion um, because of the rising economic insecurity at the hand of COVID, uh, as well as at the hand of these increasing abortion restrictions that um, continue to just really plague our communities. About five years or so ago, we recognized that funding abortions, though critical, doesn't go far enough, that we really need to look at some of the intersecting systemic oppressions that uh, impact a person and their family and their communities. So we started to do community organizing and are really leaning into this uh, practice of reminding community that abortions have always existed in community They've existed outside of clinical settings. Um, they've existed outside of a political climate um, and that we just want to continue to build power alongside folks who are accessing abortion care and those folks who are loving on people who access abortion care. Thank you so much. 
So I just heard you both talk about restrictions that the uh, folks that you serve face in getting care. And it's interesting because people often look to states in the South and the Midwest and balk at the abortion restrictions there. Uh, but we know that Pennsylvania has really been at the forefront of restricting abortion for years now. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about specifically what that looks like in your work and how you help patients navigate those particular restrictions. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, so uh, like I said, at the advocacy center, um, we, we help uh, folks uh, navigate through the Pennsylvania Abortion Control Act. Uh, which has a mandatory 24-hour waiting period um, restrictions, and again, using the Medicaid um, for uh, services other than um, in case of sexual assault or incest, and also uh, just helping the folks um, who are in the middle of the state who don't have these um, abortion providers near them and having to travel. A lot of times we think of folks having to travel outside of state to, um, to obtain care. But um, the reality in Pennsylvania is, you know, we're a large state and we are forgetting a lot of the population that um, doesn't have providers near them. Uh, so helping those folks also navigate through seeing where they could go um, that would be closer to them if that's ours. Um, you know, uh, they're providing many resources uh, that the Pennsylvania Abortion Control Act very, um, very much um, puts a, uh, a damp on their, you know, on their, on their end of receiving uh, abortion care. Uh, one of the things also is for minors. Um, minors require parental consent or going through the judicial bypass. Um, going through the judicial bypass as a, um, as a minor, I can't even imagine how difficult that must be. Um, so being able to connect them with um, folks who have uh, the means such as uh, Women's Law Project and uh, being able to help them navigate through a system that's really against them and, and, and receiving the care that they deserve and, um, you know, need. So um, a lot of this uh, magic happens in the advocacy center where, um, you know, we are having to really um, be sure that we are seeing over this Pennsylvania Abortion Control Act and being sure that, you know, folks are uh, processing correctly. Um, a lot of the times, if a patient does not have uh, the Pennsylvania abortion, uh, the PACA completed, the mandatory 24 hour waiting period completed, that affects their whole scheduling process. Um, you know, now they're going to have to reschedule due to um, not having that completed and, and delaying care now. So a lot of that, those restrictions really just uh, snowball into, um, you know, having to postpone your abortion or, uh, uh, you know, having to essentially even not um, get the care you need. So, um, yeah, these restrictions are absolutely horrible. And um, the Advocacy Center really, um, you know, focuses on, on being sure that, you know, we're committed to um, providing the resources and um, and being able to jump through hoops. <laughs> really, th that's really what it is: is jumping through hoops um, with this um, with this Pennsylvania Abortion Control Act in order to assure that our patients are receiving the care they need. 
Yeah, thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, and I would say that we provide um, some financial support for folks. Uh, folks who call us are living in poverty, earning uh, just about $8,300 a year uh, for a family. Most of our folks who call us, about 74% of people who call us are already parenting at least one child at home. And we really like to raise that up because we want to remind people that abortion is just part of a continuum of one's reproductive health care and reproductive life. So it's not a separate group of people who have acted badly and now need an abortion, right? Like it's people who are mothers who want to be mothers, you know, who um, go on to have children or who have children and then go on to have an abortion. They... Um, Overwhelmingly, folks who call us are black and brown, and we point that out to, to demonstrate how the intersections of race and poverty show up in real time for communities that we serve. And so we absolutely are eager to help out with, with finances, but we're just not meeting the need. I just want to kind of quickly name that. So because of COVID and because of a decrease in national funding, we are now running out of money quicker and quicker every shift. So we've estimated that conservatively, we would need about $20,000 more a month just to try to basic to, to meet basic needs. Um, and so when you juxtapose that figure against the fact that the state has given upwards of $90 million to real alternatives, who literally is paid by our state, by our tax dollars, by TANF dollars to lie to pregnant people to try to dissuade them out of having an abortion, it's just audacious and it really just shows the way that the state is really trying to control our bodies. And so one of the things that we help with is, is the financial side, like I just said, but we also work to emotionally support a person because oftentimes we might be their primary or, or one of the few folks that they've told about their abortion. And so we provide very, you know, compassionate, non-judgmental care and folks just feel very relieved when they call us because we don't require them to jump through some of those hoops that Elizabeth was talking about. Uh, we're just trusting that if they're calling us, they need us and we give them the money without question, right? Um, and so we'd like to think of ourselves as providing that emotional support too. And in the next, well, who knows, time is, is all made up anyway, but soon um, we're hoping to create uh, an abortion doula care collective because we know that folks need support before, during, and after their abortion care because not only is the state imposing financial restrictions, but those uh, anti-abortion efforts have also resulted in deep-seated shame and stigma and secrecy. And so we hope to be able to expand the emotional support that folks are able to receive around their abortions, right? And ultimately be able to connect folks who've had abortions with other folks who've had abortions because a lot of the time it's like what we're hearing is just folks feel very much alone and like they have to do it in isolation. So we wanna be able to combat the barrier of stigma um, because it's not just financial, it's also stigma and shame that interfere with somebody from being able to get an abortion. Uh, so we're looking to do that. We're also looking to start up within the next few weeks um, a community care hub. So we're going to be providing diapers, formula, emergency contraception, condoms, and lube because people get pregnant because they have sex. So we want to make sure it's as pleasurable as possible. Um, and what have you to folks who call our helpline and say that they need, need access to those resources. So we're just going to pilot it and see if this is something that's needed, make sure we have the capacity to handle it, uh, and then see how we can implement this on a more regular basis. Because as I said, most of the people who call us, the vast majority are already parenting and so need access 
to those diapers and to those um, resources that are oftentimes offered as like lures by real alternatives and anti-abortion centers. So we want to be able to say, come here, don't go there. Thank, Thank you for that. Um, you, you both made a lot of great points um, and touched upon um, how, you know, abortion restrictions have disproportionately impacted communities of color. Um, but uh, I think that's like a perfect segue into talking a little bit more about, you know, the connections between white supremacy and abortion restrictions. Um, so could, could you talk a little bit about how you understand those connections and how that shapes um, your work for abortion liberation? Do you wanna go, Lisa? Um, yeah, so um, <clears throat> for me, um, I it, this is of course every day, um, white men are um, putting out legislation um, that affects uh, the very, the very communities we serve. Um, and for me, uh, and, and that is that is white supremacy and it, it always has been. Uh, so for me, it's really just uplifting um, people who are working to make ends meet, people living in rural areas, undocumented folks, LGBTQIA folks and um, BIPOC communities. Um, so for me, I, I every day, um, you know, and along with my colleagues, uh, you know, we, we really do work on uplifting um, the very people that are affected the most by these um, these bills, these bans, these laws that, um, you know, just completely are a giant target on, on these communities. Absolutely. And um, we, we really see abortion, act, abortion restrictions as uh, white supremacy in action. Um, we know that abortion restrictions are a politicized tool that really is designed on purpose to perpetuate white supremacy. And it joins a long list, exhaustive, like I can't even go into all of them, but a long list of our histories, um, our, our country's history with um, trying to control particularly Black bodies, um, whether it's slavery, whether it's forced sterilization, that didn't even happen years ago. That just happened as recently as a few years ago, uh, particularly again for black and brown bodies or folks who um, speak Spanish as their first language, <clears throat> uh, whether that's the uh, alleged child welfare system, criminalization of, of, of poverty and also of pregnancy. Um, we know that folks are still getting arrested right now um, for being poor or for uh, allegedly abusing substances while pregnant. And so we see abortion restrictions as just contextualized within this broader effort to really perpetuate white supremacy. And we also like to remind people that abortion wasn't always restrictive. It wasn't always politicized in this country. It really was the creation of a white man back in the day. I mean, I'm making that part up a little bit, but I know it was a white man um, who said, you know, like we need to do something in order that we can stay in power. Um, and so this is a tool to do that and it's working. Like there's no other issue that I can think of that's as much of a wedge issue in our country, right? Um, so it's it's actually the, the inspiration, part of the inspiration for us to change our name because we recognized that um, having a gendered, name uh, was also a tool of white supremacy. And so we wanted to really step away from that, be very abortion forward, um, also have liberation connected into our title because we want to, we want people to recognize that 
uh, liberation really does mean that our freedoms are interconnected. And so anybody and all of us are impacted by white supremacy and we all have a role to play uh, to ensure that there's equity for, for everybody, right? Like our, our humanity relies on that. And so we, we, we see abortion liberation as connected to this broader effort of collective liberation. Thank you both so much. Um, I think you've both shared some kind of terrifying information, right, about the way that restrictions are already in place in Pennsylvania, are already really deeply impacting the folks you serve, um, the you know financial need that still exists um, beyond what you at ALF are able to meet. And so I hate to turn the conversation even further in that direction, but uh, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you right now was that um, the U.S. Supreme Court is about to hear arguments in Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization, uh, which is Mississippi's only abortion. <laughs> and what's at issue there is a Mississippi law that would ban abortion at 15 weeks. Um, and really what's at stake is Roe, whether it still stands, whether it's overturned, or whether it's rolled back in ways that make it even easier for states to enact abortion restrictions. Um, and so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you think this means for Pennsylvania and for the work that you both do. Um, I mean, for Pennsylvania, I think it really, um, it, it, for Pennsylvania and other states, I think it, this this kind of uh, restriction is, is going to start popping um, everywhere, all over the states. Um, and I'm sure we, it, we are going to hear um, something like this happen in uh, here in Pennsylvania, when in reality, we should be focusing on uh, the maternal mortality crisis that's happening right now, um, housing instability after COVID and before COVID, um, you know, Medicaid coverage for all uh, paid time family leave, um, you know, all these bans, we're putting so much focus on abortion bans, um, when in reality, we have as a community, as a state, uh, as a country, we have just um, so much more work to do for the safety and um, of, of our communities and, and the communities that really, um, you know, help support each other. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm not going to be surprised if, you know, we hear something like this happen here. Um, you know, we've seen how in Texas, the same bill has been um, copycat. So, uh, you know, I, I do see that it's going to go beyond um, uh, Mississippi and into other states, including Pennsylvania. But I just um, I just hope that more of these um, crises are being addressed in the country. Yeah, and we we're uh, bracing for an influx of people traveling to PA, um, which means an increase in funding need. There was um, a really powerful graphic that was just put out, and I am completely blanking on, on who created it, but it shows the map of the country to show what's going to be impacted, which states are going to be immediately impacted. And so for Pennsylvania, what we've known since Texas, since the Texas SB8 ban went into effect is that folks are going to travel, are, are going to need to travel here, which means more money. Uh, obviously, we want to embrace people with open arms um, as, as the largest fund in the, in the state. And we also know we're, like I just said a while ago, we're not meeting the need. And so our strategy is to just really fundraise hard now in ways that we haven't before letting folks know you know there this this is a crisis time like you we really need you all to dig deep and so to help us raise funds 
We also want to lean into the fact that the state is not going to save us. And so we want to remind people that we've been overly reliant on electoral and legislative efforts to try to get people access to abortion care. So we've been having conversations for a while at, um, at ALF about uh, like community care. How do we ensure that folks know how to access medication abortion? Do folks even know um, about self-managed abortion care? So we had a survey and we're planning to launch that again in the coming months around, do you know about self-managed? What do you think about it? Um, you know, like, do you only have negative connotations because of some of the imagery that's gone on over the past decades? Et cetera, et cetera, um, to just remind people that it's not going to get better, right? Like the trajectory of what we've seen is that it's getting worse. And so as, as we all know, like there were like 500 and some pieces of legislation already introduced this year, and that's not going away because it's working. And so we really need to get creative about thinking about how do we build power in our communities to remind ourselves, as hokey as it might sound, that, that we're the change we've been waiting for and that we really have to take power back into our own hands. Um, so that's that's what we're hoping to do and to remind people uh, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we're breaking laws, but what I am suggesting is that we want to get creative like folks did back in the day, like the women's centers did back in the day before it was legal. Right. There was another um, abortion clinic that existed in, in, in Philadelphia before Roe as well. Um, they provided abortions and they got around the law because the law said you were um, it was illegal to provide unlawful abortions. So the provider said, well, we're providing legal abortions, so we're good. You know, um, I you know want to lift up the folks who are doing work in New York and Chicago with the Jane work. And so that was in the late 70s before or the early uh, late 60s, early 70s before Roe as well. That was before phones. That was before cell phones, before not before phones, but that was before cell phones, before the Internet, before any of that. And they figured out a way to create a network of what they described as just like we were just regular women and moms in our living rooms who came together and figured out how to not only get people to their abortion appointment, but they themselves were providing the abortions. And people gasp at that now, right? Like literally like, oh my God, you know, that's breaking the law. And the woman who um, was one of the women part of it said, you know, unjust laws are meant to be broken. So again, I'm not suggesting that we're out there breaking laws, but I am suggesting that we figure out loopholes and that we figure out ways around it and not just kind of throw our hands up and expect for them to do better because it's just not. Like it's a system that's rooted in white supremacy. It will always be that way. I don't care whether it's blue or red. Um, it's a system designed for that. So I just want to think creatively outside of that system. Um, Alicia, that's very real. I just, um, uh, you know, one of, I I'm come from uh, Mexico and um, in Mexico, like, you know, we, the very people that were caring for us were like our hometown doulas um, that did everything from contraception to abortion care. And that's been the way for hundreds of years. And, um, you know, we, we definitely need to bring a light to, to this. This is really the people that are caring for our communities and these restrictions. Um, are only going to harm us. So um, I definitely just want to remind folks that yes, this abortion has existed and has and we're cared by, um, you know, our very own community members. And um, it's not, it's not definitely nothing new. 
Yeah. And if I could just be even a little bit more extra. Um, so we're excited by our new logo and just want to lift up that within our logo, you'll see some flora that is reminiscent of herbs because we wanted to remind people that abortion care has happened by midwives, by doulas in communities since the beginning of time using, you know, traditional medicine. And it wasn't until, again, paternalistic white supremacy came in and realized that they could capitalize off of this practice. And so took it out of the hands of midwives and doulas to try to make money off of it. Again, perpetuating this very like white supremacist capitalist notion um, that only people who had a degree should be qualified enough to be able to provide this level of care. And so we're we're just wanting to 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 push against that a little bit um, in, in our work. So yeah, thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Yeah, thank you both. Um for just sharing all of that and, and sharing that we have to be um, uplifting, that we have to be creative about, you know, how we're thinking about this. Um, and that is kind of like a perfect segue into the next question. Um, Lisbeth, you mentioned briefly um, the, the Texas ban um, as well. And so in addition to the Supreme Court case that we were talking about with Mississippi, um, I think we're all nervous to see what happens with the Texas Senate Bill 8. Um, which took effect in no, in September and essentially bans abortion after six weeks. Um, folks have been voicing their outrage and opposition on social media. Um, they've been, um, you know, attending rallies, um, which is important, and we need everyone to step up and do more directly to support abortion access um, right here and right now. So um, what can, you know, just the regular person do um, today to make sure that every person in Pennsylvania who wants an abortion can get one? Yeah, definitely. So, um, and if you're in the Philadelphia area, um, um, you know, you can definitely uh, become a clinic escort. Clinic escorts are absolutely magical. They they are um, helping our patients um, feel more comfortable. So if um, you wanted to become a clinic escort at any of our facilities, you can always go to the Women's Center's um, Take Action page at thewomencenters.com. Uh, also, um, you know, just looking to your um, local abortion provider and see if they, um, you know, uh, require any, uh, if, you, if you can volunteer to be a clinic escort there. Um, again, super important, you know, continue to donate to your local abortion funds, um, continue to uh, uh, donate to the very fabulous uh, Abortion Liberation Fund of PA, uh, Western Pennsylvania, Western PA Fund for Choice, um, and of course, all the, the fabulous um, abortion funds in, um, in Texas and um, Mississippi. Uh, and of course, uh, most importantly, uh, you know, destigmatizing abortion, talking about it, uh, you know, in, in, in the very positive way that it has affected so many people and has really allowed people to live the lives they deserve. Um, and you will be surprised to find out how many of your friends uh, or family have had an abortion and um, you know how you can connect there and, and stigmatizing it and talking about it with your friends. And um, really that, that, that goes a long way. 
Yes, to everything Elizabeth said. Uh, and there's actually tools out there to help people talk about abortion. So you don't just have to come up with this stuff on your own. People in the abortion world are very crafty and very creative in trying to get people to help do the work with us. And so if you go to um, the National Network of Abortion Funds, they have what's called heart to heart conversations. It's just a toolkit. And because of the holidays coming up, I would love for everybody to just get one of those toolkits for their for their home. It's basically just cards that just get people talking so that you don't have to come up with it on the fly. Uh, so just get those and put them on your coffee table or on your, you know, food table, pass the turkey and let's talk about abortion. Um, and then the second thing that Elizabeth said is around raising funds. Obviously this, this is important. And I, I want to remind people that we're not talking about people who can give $5,000. Most of our donors give us less than $250 and 80% of our budget comes from individuals. So you know how many people we're talking about feel really moved um, to support this work. Uh, so, you know, have a fundraiser at your house. One of us can come talk about our work or don't, you know, just get people to, to, to put it in the hat as it were um, and, and give to your local abortion fund. And I wouldn't be an executive director if I didn't plug that we right now have a two for one uh, match happening, which is our first time we've had this. So uh, Poor Richard's Charitable Trust is going to match um, every donation double. So if you give $25, they'll get 50 for a total of $75 to WMF or ALF. Woo, sorry. Um, so you can find out that information on our website as well. The last thing that I'll say, uh, which is maybe less popular, but equally important is that Dismantling white supremacy happens with everyone needing to play a role. And so it's not just a matter of going to a march. It's also a matter of unpacking your own anti-Blackness and really getting in touch with the ways that you perpetuate white supremacy. So there's a ton of resources. Um, it's within our uh, newsletter that we just put out also on our website that talk about, you know, Black liberation, uh, unlearning about the white supremacy that is seeping through all of our veins. Uh, Me and White Supremacy is a great book for folks who um, are white or non-Black identified. It's a, it's a workbook. It's not a book you read at night to go to sleep. Uh, so do your work, do your work. Um, and there's, there's nothing stopping you. Um, there's free resources out there. You really can do this just on your own individual, in your own individual way. Um, and there's not, there's, there's no reason why we don't have, um, that ability to do that on ourselves. So yes to all of that. Thank you. Elizabeth. Uh, so I want to close out with one final question. We've talked a lot about how bleak the landscape is in the courts and in the state legislatures right now. Um, but tell us about one thing that's giving you hope and joy for the future, even in the face of all these challenges. Um, for me, it's definitely uh, my friends and family, especially those who have reached out to me for care, um, who have trusted in me to um, know that they are going to receive um, amazing abortion care. And that has really gone a long way in my heart. Um, and especially my colleagues. Um, you know, I've been learning so much from um, all you guys and uh, ev everybody around me that I work with daily. Um, and it's and also um, they've uh, have opened their hearts and learning from me and and being heard. So that always, um, you know, really gets uh, heart going. Uh I want to just basically steal everything that Elizabeth just said. Uh, I get to work with some of the most fiercest, uh, quirkiest, 
loveliest people, um, both at ALF and then within our, within our wider circle. Um, it's been nothing but absolute joy to be able to go through this process of, of transitioning our name. And we got to really see like what's important to us. And we got to define that for ourselves and reimagine that together. And, you know, at, at the heart of this work is love is joy and being able to have a job that you get paid to do that is actually able to help you think about you as a person, me as a person, and like thinking about joy, thinking about love and rest, you know, like that's something that is just unfathomable. And I think I'm not saying it to say that, you know, like, oh, we're such a cool place. Everybody should like want to work with us. But it's that that level of thinking, you know, we want to have uh, a ripple effect so that everybody understands like this is something that we all need. We all do not need to be working this hard. We all need rest. Like we all need joy. We all need love. We all need somebody who we can support, you know, um, support and also get support from. And so we um, we feel very lucky uh, to be able to be in community with one another, uh, board staff, volunteers, donors, um, as well as all of our partners who we do this work with day in, day out. So, yeah. Well, and I'm so happy to be in community with the two of you um, working to um, further abortion liberation in Pennsylvania um, and to come together, as you said, in the face of these obstacles in the courts and in the state legislatures to do the work that needs to be done right now. I think both of your answers really speak to um, the fact that within our own communities um, is the joy and the hope and also the resources we need to get through this tough time. So uh, thank you for your work and um, I'm so glad to be in community with you. Thank yes, you. Yes, and I just so thank you both. Echo Julie. Um, I've just, I've definitely learned so much from her and um, when she's always sending me resources to lift up on our social media and I read through all the great work that you're doing um, and just how you're moving the conversation uh, along and it's been evolving um, just uh, in connecting it to white supremacy and um, all of that is just really amazing to me to just see um, just like these interconnecting webs um, happening um, with with all of this like activism and this work is a beautiful thing. So I think there's a lot of positivity and hope that we can um, look look to, uh, forward to. Um, and I just want to make sure that everyone um, will be able to stay connected with your organization. So we will have um, links to your organizations in our show notes. Um, but if you could just uh, give us your handles for social media and give us your website links again, mm -hmm. um, just so people can know where to go to volunteer, donate, and get involved uh, with the great work that you're doing. Um, that would be great. Yeah. So. Uh to visit the uh you can always visit the womenscenters.com on there you can always go to the take action uh, page to see how you can get involved in pennsylvania um but also um our social media and all of the resources that um you could really find there uh would be at the women's centers on uh instagram and facebook and twitter yeah and we're just at abortionfundpa.org and then on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, Abortion Fund PA is our handle. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll get a TikTok. We'll see. <laughs> oh, we have a TikTok. We just made Woo! one. Yes. Yes. I'm so envious. 
Yes, in um, in support for uh, Texas folks, we decided to um, do our first TikTok. So um, definitely go check it out at the Women's Centers dot com. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, the, at the Women's Centers on on TikTok. Thank you both. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you so much. That was Alicia Gonzalez, Executive Director of the Abortion Liberation Fund of PA. Lisbeth Rodriguez, Community Engagement Coordinator for the Philadelphia Women's Centers, and ACLUPA Senior Policy Advocate, Julie Zapes, this co-host. We're grateful that they were able to join us for this relevant and necessary conversation around abortion access and liberation. You can learn more about our reproductive freedom work by joining our email list on our website, aclupa.org and by following us on various social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, all with the handle ACLUPA. Well, that brings episode 67 to a close. The audio editor of Speaking Freely is Freddie Foulet. Our music is from Ben Sound. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Schuford. I'm Cambria Lee. Until next time, be healthy and be free.